pour out your heart to him. God, it's so good to be no longer slaves because of your amazing grace. You're no longer entangled by chains. You're teaching about our freedom. God, help us to live free. Pray this in your name. Amen. You have a seat. So I know that you've been working really hard for this wedding thing, and there's a lot of preparing that goes on. It's, it's interesting to me, I was reflecting this week on the fact that for most of the major events of life, there are decorations. Have you thought about that? We set a whole thing in place for a wedding day because it's a special day. The birth of a child, we, we, we redo a complete room of the house for the birth of a child. I can remember having extensive conversations about crib bumpers. You know, these are important life decisions. But all of a sudden, you're having a baby and you change that. You get married and you have to buy a house and live in it and put stuff in it and everything that is major in fact even in high school there's rites of passage in high school prom is a rite of passage in high school and you can go to great lengths for prom i had some guys in my youth group in indiana that decided that renting a limousine they had the money for it but they wanted to go a different direction it was cheaper to rent a u-haul And that's what they did. They rented a a big old cargo truck and they rented it for a couple days because they could afford it. And they wallpapered the inside of it and they hung a chandelier. They put in matching couches and a coffee table. They even went to the uh, local carpet shop and said, would you happen to have any red carpet? And the guy said, I have this really weird remnant. It's about this wide, but it's 25 feet long. And he said, we would like that. It fit almost exactly in the ramp. And as they got to each one of the girls' houses that they were going to prom with, that they had not told they were going to do this, they would pull out the ramp, and then one of them would kick that piece of carpet, and it would roll all the way down the ramp and into the street. They were two for three. Two of the girls thought it was the most amazing thing in the whole world. The other girl was mortified to be going to prom in a U-Haul. But for every major event in life, there is a stage that is set. There are decorations that are done. There's special preparations that go on. And as we move into the story of the beginnings of life, God's creation story, 
we move from chapter 1, which is the big view of how everything was created, and we move into chapter 2, and chapter 2 is about the creation of the special place that God wanted to spend with humanity. It's all about God's special preparation so that we would have a place to be with Him. It's interesting, even the language of chapter 1 talks about creation and saying it was so. But all of a sudden you're going to notice there's just nuances of change. He goes from creating to planting. He goes from forming to duplicating. God decided that He wanted on this very momentous occasion of the beginning of heavens and earth, that he wanted it to be a special place for who he wanted to spend time with. We do that still to this day. Nancy's away in Florida, and what she's doing is, this summer we got a new bed, and it's smaller than her old bed, and that means that now we have to redecorate the bedroom. This isn't exciting to me, it's very exciting to her. And she's in Florida looking for just the right bedspread that will be the crown of the whole experience. I don't even need to make the bed. So let's read chapter 2, starting at verse 4, and take a look at this experience of what God is going to do. And how he explains creation not as a big idea, but as a very personal story about his love for mankind. We're in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 4 through 25, and then we'll just take a look at some of what they mean. Genesis 2, 4 through 25. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the heavens, made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet on the land and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord, God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed his nostrils into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to the water of the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was Fishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of the land is good. Polythium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second was Gahan. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. 
And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you should not eat, for in that day you will eat it, you you shall surely die. Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever he called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was found, not found a, a helper fit for him. So God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he was asleep, he took out one of his ribs and closed it up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she came out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So, the story of the beginnings in chapter 1 is this big picture, and then you come to chapter 2, and some people think that there's a conflict between one and two but the reality is is they complement each other and they have a different focus in the same way if you listen to nancy and i tell stories about the same experience we're going to focus a little differently because we're two different people and some of the details that nancy will share i would never share in a story the opposite is also true that some of the ways i tell a story she would argue is wrong and it could be done differently That's because we tell stories differently. And it's interesting because Genesis is a book. And in the book of Genesis, you see this line over and over again. These are the generations of heaven and earth that were created in the day the Lord had made the heavens and the earth. This idea of generations is really interesting. Just listen carefully. I'm going to read several of them that are found in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter Five, it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Then you come to chapter 6, and it says, this is the generations of Noah. Then you go to chapter 10, it says, this is the generations of the sons of Noah. Then in, in the chapter 11, it says, this is the generations of Shem. Then you go on to chapter 11, and it says, these are the generations of Terah. You go to chapter 25, and it says, these are the ge- generations of Ishmael. Later on in 25, it says, these are the generations of Isaac. 36 says, these are the generations of Esau. And then it goes on, and later it talks about the generations of Joseph. Here's an interesting idea. When it says this, it's saying this is the story of this part of the family. But it starts by saying, this is the generations of when God created the heavens and the earth. But it's talking about This is the story of man. You know, here's an idea that you have to get in your mind. I believe that Scripture should be taken literally. And so when it talks about Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve aren't an idea. 
They're not a myth or a legend. They were real people. The first two created. When God talks about this garden, he wasn't talking about an idea of gardening, a mythological people. This is not Xanadu. This is a real place. That's why I think some of the details, especially since the personality that God used, tells the details of this was the headwaters before three huge rivers because this is a real place. And so what this is telling us about, this is telling us about the beginning of time and how God fashioned it, not just simply in creating it, but who he fashioned it for and the kind of relationship that he wanted it to have. This is the story of us. This is our story. This is where it begins. Every one of us has a story, and, and the people before us have a story, and some of us are kind of into that gene- genealogy stuff, and we like knowing where we're from and a little bit about our people and all of that. This is where we're from. This is our people. Ultimately, Adam and Eve somehow are our parents. Literally. It's amazing to think about. So he says this. He talks about the fact that this area, and I I thought of you, Scott, because you're a landscaper, and occasionally you'd have somebody, and they'd have you over to their place, and they'd they'd show you an area, and it would be just kind of barren and everything, and they'd go, I want this to be really pretty. (laughs) I want some of these kinds of plants and these kinds of plants, and you come back with a plan. God is talking about a specific geography that he was going to create for a special event which was the beginning of mankind isn't that cool in the same way you had to find a venue for your wedding aaron we need a special venue it's got to have some emotional connection to us and when you have a baby you're like okay and and we're gonna have the rocking chair here and and then the crib with the bumper will be here and, and, and we want all the colors to be subtle. And, and the first time we did a nursery, it was yellow because we didn't want to know if it was going to be a boy or a girl, but she wanted it to work. And, you know, all those different kinds of things, even from renting a U-Haul. All about the venue. It says that there was no bush of the field was yet on the land and no small plants of the field was yet sprung up for the Lord had not caused it to rain in the land. All these things are important because of what we read later on in the story he's talking about. There's no rain yet. And there was no man. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature in chapter one we found out that god decided when he created man he wanted to create man in his own image now now we we learn how he did it and i i'm trying to think of how would the hand of god reach down into the dust of the ground and decided well i'd like him to be about this tall now that head's not quite the right shape you know can you imagine god going through this process of creating the first man and 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 he was inadamant, and he wasn't alive. And then the breath of God came into him, and he was alive. But God did more than that. I love what he did next. 
It says that the Lord planted a garden in Eden. You know, He created all these things before, but now all of a sudden, in this one space, He's like, I want to have a special place for man. And what He describes really is an orchard. And, and listen to what He says when He talks about this place. He says um, that He... Out of the ground, the Lord made it to spring up every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. So I I think this is really important because, you know, if you talk to guys about getting married, they're just like, let's just get it done. Okay? But women are like, we need a florist. And, and, you know, I've done many weddings now, and I I know that you got to fit in. And so I always say, so what are the colors? And I make sure that I'm wearing the appropriate tie to fit into the genre of the experience. You know, I I rarely ever wear like a a bold purple or a, you know, I'm I'm not, the wedding isn't about me, so it's usually very muted. But think about this. God didn't just create a place where they had food. He wanted it to be pretty. He, he wanted it to be enjoyable. The reason it took me forever to get down Main Street yesterday is because it's pretty here. What God has done in the Adirondacks is beautiful. But God planted a garden. And, and I can about imagine, you know, uh, my grandfather was a landscaper and and I know the nuance with what, you know, I'd say, hey, Grandpa, do you want to use that? Oh, that's just not a pretty tree. You know? That's a backyard tree for shade. That's not a front yard tree for looks. God created this place. And in the midst of it was the tree of life. And also in the, was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and you know what's interesting to me? Is even they were attractive or they wouldn't have been there. You know, we can't take this idea that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a gnarly looking, ah, it's a beautiful tree. And what did God do next? It says in Scripture, and the Lord took man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. You see, God gave man purpose. God didn't create man to be on vacation. God created man to have purpose, to have a job have something to do. And he placed him in the garden. And then it says, whoops, that the Lord gave the first command. This was the first, you got to trust me from God. And I'm jealous of Adam because he only had one. You know, when he started his nation later, he gave him 10. And then he turned that into 613. But he only gave him one command, and this is what he said. He says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. So that means they were all fruit trees. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. We're going to talk about that death next week. But even in the garden, even in created order, there was this sense that even in the simplest way, 
that there was a sense that you were always supposed to trust God. This idea of trusting God isn't a new idea that comes up later. It's not created in songs in the last generation. From the beginning of time, God explains something to man. I am God and you are not. You're going to have to trust me in this one thing. You know, every one of us has issues in our life with trusting God about things. Uh, we think that somehow God's running a democracy and that, that if there are certain rules that are hard, we can vote. We live in a nation that thinks that. That's a hard rule. I don't like it. Let's vote. Okay, that's no longer a rule. It's hard to trust God and to think that somebody other than you knows best. In a marriage, that's hard sometimes. That's hard for the man sometimes because a wife will explain too much information sometimes and it's just and he's saying in his mind, can you just trust me? I'll, I'll get it done. Okay, I might forget. But I'll, I might get it done. In every relationship, there's trusting is hard. But that is a part of created order. You need to know that. God created it so we were supposed to trust him, even in the garden. You know, when I was growing up, my grandfather had this property, and on the back of this property, my grandfather kept some old equipment that was kind of in disrepair. My, my grandfather loved Alice Chandler's, little Alice Chandler, the orange ones, remember those? He loved those little, and he, he set up all his fields so he could run an Alice down the middle of them. And he had like six extra in some disarray, that were parts vehicles and and back there he didn't want us kids to go and so he taught us this he says now i don't want you going down that dirt road there okay because there's lions tigers and bears back there and i don't want you to get eaten so when we were little we were like i am not going down that road but as we got older and we learned a little more about geography. We realized that North Dakota doesn't have many lions, tigers, or bears in them. But then we were also old enough so that we could be back there with that stuff and not get hurt as bad. But God was saying, out of love, just like Grandpa did, hey, you got to trust me. The next thing that happens I think is really interesting because there's key words in the New Testament in the in the in the beginning creation story, God creates things and then he goes, and it was good. This is the first not good thing. Take a look at what he says, it's not good. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God created, realized that in all of creation, he had not created companionship with man with his own kind at all. Man was alone. And God, who existed in a trinity and enjoyed relationship, wanted the man to have that same experience. But he does it in an interesting way. He does it by creating the first life lesson. So here's what he does. It talks about the fact that he had already formed all these animals. So out of the ground, the Lord formed, having saying he already did, every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. If you take a look in chapter 1, God creates earth and he calls it earth. He creates day and he calls it day. He creates, you know, 
uh, land and he calls it land. He creates seas and he calls it seas. But all of a sudden, when it comes to the animals, he did not name them. He gave that as a job to man. And it's a life lesson for man. And he goes on and says, And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was found not a helper fit for him. You see, God did this, and I, I can't even imagine how much time this would have taken. God did this to show him how creation fit together and how he was a misfit. There was no one like him. And he started realizing, hey, wait a minute here. There's two of every kind here. There's, there's, a, there's a male bird and there's a female bird. And there's, there's two elephants and there's two cows and there's two goats and there's, there's two bats. And he started realizing this and he realized that God, God didn't only want to see the issue himself. God wanted man to see the issue. I, I, I love this about God because I think that's true even today. Because I think it would be really easy for God just to sit me down every day and just dictate what should be done. But God out of love for me lets me go through experiences to make me help see the needs myself. He loves me enough that He just doesn't always tell me. He could have just sat Adam down and went, look, if you notice, all the other animals are in pairs, you're not. We're going to fix that, okay? No, he makes man see the need himself. Man is a misfit in all of creation. So God creates a solution. This is the first surgery in the Word of God. I don't know what God used for anesthesia, but it says the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon man and while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. I don't think God needed to use sutures or a scalpel. And the rib that God, the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought it to himself. You know, there's all of these speculations, but I think that God could have created a woman from a toe, but then man would have always felt like she was underfoot. But God created this level playing field, this sense of them, and he brought them together. And it says, then man said, this is bone of my bone. See, he, he realized that there was finally someone like him, and flesh of my flesh shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. You know what? There is something really special, and, and there are a lot of married people in this room. <laughs> Wasn't it really neat when all of a sudden you found the person that God knew you fit with? Nancy and I have been married for over 30 years, and I just am still blown away at how well God knew what my need was and how he fit us together. God does amazing things. Now, occasionally I will stop trusting God with that and I'll go, you know, I, I, I'd rather have somebody else's wife. But then other times that you'll be hanging out with couples, and this has never happened with any of you, so I don't want you to be paranoid. Be hanging out with other couples, you'll get in the car and you'll drive home and you'll look at the person you married and you're like, 
I'm so glad we're married because I couldn't have been married to that person ever. (laughs) But God realizes that every single one of us is a misfit. And God, out of love, helps us find people that connect with us in life, both friends and life partners that get us and that we get to do life with. And you know what? That's God's idea. God did this. We didn't evolve into marriage. No, God created it. That's why, see, this is history. Remember, I said, this is the generation. This is the story of man. And that's why somebody's reflecting later on and they're saying, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's amazing that there is this multiplication of families, not because families get bigger, but because there's new ones all the time. You know, I've already said this to you, Aaron and Jordan. You're not becoming an extension of the families you grew up in. You're starting your new family because we leave our family and we form a new family. You see, the solution to loneliness God gave was marriage. It was his idea, and that's what he did. And so it says this of life in the garden. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You know, this is pre-fall, and so we're in this unique position, but we live on the other side of chapter 3, okay? We're going to talk about that next week. We live in a world of shame, don't we? We live in a world of hiding. We, we live in a world where I, I've been doing some home improvement right now, and there's a product called Bin, and the whole point of Bin is I can put this white shellacky stuff on things, and I can hide whatever existed beneath that. And if it works right, you'll never see that stain again. Because there's shame in this world, and we're trying to hide that. But that wasn't God's plan that shame that you feel, that desire to hide, that, that, that sense of not being able to know who you can tell what. I can remember a young lady in my youth group. I said, so do you have good friends? She says, I have pretty good friends, but I don't tell everybody anything because I don't trust anybody enough. So everybody knows some of the truth, but nobody knows all of the truth about who I am. I, I manage my shame I manage my faults so that nobody can really know me. And we live in that world where there's 75% that everybody knows, but there's that other 25% that we're afraid of what people might think of us if they knew that 25%. Because we're not in the Garden of Eden anymore, are we? And shame is a real issue. But you don't have to be a slave to that shame that's what we sang about this morning the cross can make a difference in all of that shame the cross can be that difference that god has for us because when we ask jesus christ be our personal savior because he took the punishment for all of our shame when he died on the cross we can have a relationship without shame with god that helps us have a relationship with each other without shame. But some of you in this room maybe have never made that decision.
you're still trying to do shame management. That's not how you're supposed to live. See, you were built for Eden. God is trying to restore Eden in each one of our hearts. So if you've never asked Jesus to be your personal Savior, today may be the day that you should bring that change in your life. And for the rest of you, for those of you who maybe already have that relationship, we should not compromise. And say, well, that's just the way things are. You know, have you ever heard that phrase? It is what it is. No, it's not. Because we were made for Eden. We should be bothered by the shame and drama of life. And we should seek to be the peacemakers that Scripture tells us to be. And we should seek to life in the garden instead of in the barren world that we live in. You see, the story of the Bible is so very interesting. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates paradise. Genesis 3, we destroy it. And that goes all the way to Revelation chapter 20. And then in the last two chapters, Eden is restored. And that is our hope. So are you disappointed in what you see around you and saddened by some of the things that take place? Was it hard to watch television the last couple weeks? There's so much shame because we're not in Eden. But God can bring Eden to our hearts and then we can share it with others. So although the geography we live in is not Eden, the geography of our hearts is. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank You. I thank You that the story of the Bible is not just about You, but it's Your interaction with us. And I thank You for the fact that we have distant relatives named Adam and Eve. And God, I pray that we would learn to live that life without shame that Scripture speaks of. And God, I pray for people today that have never accepted You, and I, I pray that today they would pray a prayer as simple as this prayer. Dear God, I need a Savior. Please forgive me for the things I've done